Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Dynamic's Mindy McGrath and Ryan Hummel to talk about what's trending now. In the healthcare industry, clearly what has been dominating headlines is the Delta variant. We know this new variant is much more contagious with a shorter incubation period of four rather than six days, and it's caused at least 92% of the new infections in the U.S. We know these outbreaks do tend to last 10 to 12 weeks as they burn through the susceptible populations, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about what does this new surge in infections really mean for the healthcare industry and the United States at large. Delta is proving to be much more contagious. It's spreading extremely quickly. There's outbreaks that are going on. There's breakthroughs, folks that are vaccinated. You know, the CDC guidance has gone back to mask um, recommendations. So why does it matter, right? We have a huge amount of public confusion because CDC guidelines are not lining up with states and schools, and there's this whole patchwork of policy that's sowing confusion and frustration. Then let's talk about the healthcare system as a whole. We have providers that have been on the front lines of this for 18 months, and all I can think about when I think about Delta right now is the level of burnout that our healthcare system must be feeling at the moment because there is now a tool in place called a vaccine that can help to stem the spread of this. And yet we are still putting our frontline workers in very risky, precarious positions to care for individuals that refuse to be vaccinated. And at some point, the best of the best in our provider system may just throw up their hands and say, I've had enough, I'm exhausted. I don't want to continue to put my family at risk, myself at risk, and I've been working nonstop for 18 months to try to help, you know, address this. But at some point, I think healthcare systems run out of ways to keep their providers and their teams, care teams, motivated. Um, And then last but not least, I think the most interesting or fascinating thing that we're starting to see play itself out is how corporate America is starting to assert itself into the vaccine world, right? With their own policies and mandates about what is required of their employees to be vaccinated. In some cases, if they want to come to the office and others, if they want to have a job. Yeah, Mindy, I would mention one more thing about this and it's the non-COVID related patients. If we remember in 2020, elective surgeries, uh, cancer patient treatments, Many of these things were delayed due to the surge last year, and we're seeing anecdotal evidence of this happening once again, especially in states where uh, health systems and hospitals, ICU units, and the um, capacity are reaching, you know, post 100%, and some of them are even higher than they were last summer. And so hospital administrators are forced to cancel these surgeries again, and that has a long-term effect on the healthcare kind of you know, sustainability in America, but also it hurts them financially, right? We're back into this kind of really tumultuous, tenuous situation, especially in health systems that were already struggling in the last 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes a vicious cycle, right? For health systems that are trying to keep the lights on, 
right, to care for patients. And yet they have to think now about pulling back on elective surgeries, which is really where they make their profits, right, and and keep the, the business going. Um, now have to think about that. And also, you know, I think another aspect of this, Ryan, on, in addition to that is we now have to also continue to think about the supply chain. We know that there were shortages, you know, throughout the COVID um, first couple of surges of key medical supplies and critical medical supplies. And that's something that, that CEOs and leaders of health systems have to be thinking about again. So, you know, I think it's Delta represents more than just another variant that is in the marketplace. I think what Delta continues to expose are fundamental weaknesses in our healthcare system that we still haven't quite addressed because we continue to go through these ups and downs of having, you know, lower COVID rates for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, big outbreaks that we have to contend with. And because of Delta's really highly contagious nature, it's becoming very difficult to try to rein these in, especially when nationally we are just not at the level we need to be at when it comes to having appropriate vaccination levels to achieve herd immunity. I think that the challenge too is that you're having some of these breakthrough cases where people are vaccinated and they're picking up COVID in a less severe form, but it's still busting through. So that means more work for Pfizer, Moderna, the vaccine makers of the world also try to figure out how to contend with these variants as they start to spread in the United States and across the world. Yeah, Jen and Mindy, we're seeing some other you know news other than COVID-19 in the headlines. And one of them is this you know, seemingly never ending saga of trying to rein in the cost of prescription drugs. And in this case, I think it's more about generics and biosimilar drugs. And, you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, just in the last couple of weeks have voted to really kind of move forward lots of legislation um, that is kind of aiming to focus on that. And, and one of the big bills is the Stop Stalling Act, which really um, would allow, if this goes through um, all the processes, the Federal Trade Commission, the authority to take action against the FDA to delay market entry for generic, generics and biosimilars. And we've seen some lawsuits um, in the past couple weeks. Uh, Kaiser Permanente have filed a lawsuit against Merck um, with this idea that, you know, not just Merck, but other large life science companies are delaying um, the manufacturing of the generics version of their products. And, you know, these four bills, it's interesting, um, Senator Chris Coons had mentioned that he is concerned about this, but also he wants to make sure there's a balance, right? I think he said something like over the aggressive use of the tools created in this legislation could sweep up good actors as well as bad actors. And Ryan, it's so interesting. Like um, when I think about pay for delay, right? It's been in the marketplace for such a lengthy period of time. And there's been numerous administrations that have tried to address this, um, albeit unsuccessfully. It, I think the point that you make right and around balance is the key because there are areas therapeutic classes in the marketplace where the introduction of generics and biosimilars could be extremely helpful tools to add to the toolbox both for physicians as well as for consumers in some instances you know maybe not so much right like you want to continue to drive innovation in your life sciences market and part of that innovation is rewarding companies 
for breakthrough therapies that have novel mechanisms of action that really can prove superiority in the marketplace in terms of the outcomes that they're able to deliver. So um, when you look at these four bills, you realize like there is, there is a need to be um, balanced in this because if we're not, what we're going to see is a pullback on R&D investments and the path forward on innovative products becomes lessened because so many people are you know, worried that we're gonna move into an all generic type of market. But, you know, I think pay to, for delay has been, it's been around as long as I've been around in the market, which has been a while. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see whether these these bills actually make them themselves into laws in some capacity and what the impact of that would be. I would expect that there's gonna be huge pushback right, in the life sciences space and in the same vein, you're going to see um, a high support from both providers and health plans saying, yeah, like we need to have more access to generics so that we can help our patients have better access to therapies that are affordable for them. Mindy, I think you're definitely right in terms of expecting to see a significant amount of pushback from the life science industry on this new proposed legislation. I think another area where pharmaceutical manufacturers are pushing back is on legalizing um, Medicare copay assistance. We see you know, throughout the industry, right? It's quite common for pharmaceutical manufacturers to uh, fund part of patients' copays for privately or commercially insured patients, um, but that's not really the case in Medicare for now. A new lawsuit that Pfizer just filed in the Southern District of New York is seeking a judge's permission to directly reimburse patient expenses for two of its heart failure drugs um, using an outside administrator that would take contributions to cover those Medicare copays, deductibles, and coinsurance um, for those particular drugs, which would otherwise cost patients about $13,000 a year. I have two thoughts on this. The first is that when you think about the population that this particular drug that Pfizer is filing the lawsuit against, I mean, 90 plus percent of their population is Medicare because that is the age in which this, you know, this particular um, disease hits. Uh, the other piece of this that I think is um, we need to consider, right, is that Medicare, because they have no control over prescription drug prices, um, has always had patients share in a part of the cost for in order to kind of guard against moving people into like really high cost products. However, in this particular case, this is the only product in the marketplace, right, for this therapeutic area. So I think there is um, definitely something to be said around what, how, the, how these types of scenarios need to be potentially treated differently, right, to ensure that, that patients that are suffering from a disease like this have access to perhaps the only treatment that's in the marketplace. And when it's a high price treatment, that there is assistance to help them offset those copays because they are living on fixed budgets in many cases. So there's a lot of complexity to this. Uh, what is going to be interesting, I think what we've seen Pfizer do is not just argue on behalf of their particular product, but just generally push the envelope with some of those those um, constitutional positions that they have around, you know, 
um, in the, the First Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, and see where a judge lands it lands. And if it opens up even a crevice, right, for Pfizer to get through, um, I think we're going to see a lot of pharmaceutical manufacturers maybe line up behind Pfizer. It'll be interesting to see the judge has said that she's only going to consider the company's contention that a dedicated fund would not violate kickback prohibitions because, you know, among the other constitutional arguments that you guys both cited, it is the doctor who ultimately decides to prescribe the drug and create revenue for Pfizer, um, not the patient getting the financial assistance themselves. And I think one of the things that that we have certainly seen over the last year and a half, right, is payers, um, especially in the commercial market, right, adopting these copay accumulator policies, which are a way to kind of neutralize some of the efforts that life sciences manufacturers have when they are offering um, savings card and copay offsets to patients. So um, I go back to the conversation that we had several months ago on one of our podcasts where we were talking about designing with the consumer in mind, right? Consumer centricity. It's a big hot topic in the healthcare industry. And you see how um, things like copays become very, very murky. They are beneficial to patients in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to helping them with their out-of-pocket costs. And yet different sectors have very different views, right, on how it impacts their financial health. And so as a result, you know, I think these types of arguments almost expose the fact that we are still just talking about consumer centricity, but not really doing what needs to be done to actually be living consumer centricity in the healthcare market. I think the accumulator program, which is still relatively new, I think the copay accumulator program is a very fascinating connective tissue to this conversation. And, you know, just the idea that these accumulator programs, which really use the manufacturer copay, copay savings program, and it prohibits them from counting towards like a patient's deductible or their out-of-pocket costs, um, is, is concerning, right? It's concerning because these accumulator programs um, have given, you know, the health plan industry and prescription drug coverage um, a little bit more leverage. Yeah. I mean, there's been a huge spike, right, in adoption. In the last three years, we've gone from seeing one or two plans to about 73% of plans have an accumulator policy now in place. So it makes it that much harder, right, to, to offer any sort of copay assistance. Now, Pfizer's lawsuit in particular is not around commercial copay cards, but I think it's just when you think about the umbrella um, or overarching theme around patient assistance and how you offer that, this is one kind of um, vector in which they're looking at it and kind of challenging the system as we speak. I think for folks, you know, specific Medicare folks, that there may be some, same, some asymmetry in their literacy of all of this, maybe confused and feel like, you know, when they go to refill the prescription, um, you know, maybe they're not responsible for the full cash price until they reach the deductible. And that's just not true. Well, I think it's part of why we see such popularity in drug discount cards right? <laughs> that aren't savings cards, but there's a whole new marketplace for drug discount cards as well. So I know we're going down a rabbit hole a little bit on this, but I do think this is the tip of the iceberg. And um, depending on how this plays out in the courts, right, what impact does that start to have um, in terms of other 
types of copay assistance and savings card programs um, that may either be out in the market or coming out to the market in the near future for life sciences companies as they think about trying to help patients deal with the, you know, the cost of products. And I think the easy answer, right, would be that everybody says, well, you know, life sciences company just lower your price. And it's just quite simply not that easy because of all of the contracting and the rebating and the, the monies that change hand throughout the intermediaries and drug distribution system make this a very, very complex solve. Um, and lowering list price doesn't mean it absolutely benefits the end user, which is the patient, because as we know from the money mazes that we've talked about through the years, a lot of those monies stop when you get to the employer, the health plan, the pharmacy, and don't really help the patient at the point of service. So just something to consider is that this is, this is going to be something we need to see play out. But I think underneath all of that, there's a whole swirl of complexity and nuance um, that is much harder to solve for than just lowering the list price of a product. Well, Mindy and Ryan, we know the only constant in the healthcare industry is change. I can't wait to hear what news we're discussing next month. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.